0: Coming up on the Pinstripe Pod, Nellie and I break down the highlights of the Yankees 60-game schedule and what we have seen so far from their intra-squad action. We also have a conversation with former Yankees outfielder who helped them win a World Series in 2009, the great Johnny Damon. All that and more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Alright, here's a stripe Pod. Pod. Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co host, former Yankee, and four time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you use Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review if you would. We appreciate your support, as always. Our special guest on this Thursday edition of the show is former Yankees outfielder Johnny Damon. But before we get to Johnny Damon, who had a World Series on both ends of the rivalry spectrum with the Red Sox and the Yankees, we talked to my co-host, the four-time Yankee World Series champion, Jeff Nelson and Nelly. You know, we talked about baseball in our uh, welcome back edition of this podcast, the Pinstripe Pod on Monday. And now we, uh, today, we actually got to watch some baseball between then and today. And I got to say, it's it's very refreshing to see the Yankees back at it.
1: It is. And you can obviously see that the hitters are way behind the pitchers right now. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah.
1: The pitchers can throw it. And that's nice to see that they just kept working out. You read comments from Chapman that he went home to Miami and, you know, he lost lost 10 pounds. And, uh, you know, I saw the picture on Instagram and he looked like he was a, a, a WWE wrestler with, <laughs> with his arms, but you know, he kept throwing and, and looked like Garrett Cole kept throwing. So that's really nice to see that these guys kept the intensity level as much as they can up to get ready for any kind of date that they were going to come back. And uh, obviously the hitters, when you're not facing live pitching and you're just getting maybe some BP throws from maybe a coach or a dad or whatever it is. And it's coming in at 70 miles an hour obviously a little different when Cole's hitting probably 95, 96 right out of the gate uh, with that high fastball. So he looked really good. That was nice to see.
0: Yeah, facing Cole, first of all, Chapman, you know, he lost the 10 pounds and I found it during the pandemic (laughs) crying out loud. So he looks great and I I have some work to do, but Cole, as you said, looked extremely sharp uh, in his outing the other day uh, with the exception of Miguel Andujar taking him deep, which I, I have to ask you about because he did strike out Mike Talkman on four pitches and then Gary Sanchez forgot the rules about not throwing the ball around the horn and he did throw the ball around the horn so they had to throw that ball out of play and Cole was given a new ball and you could tell from the minute he was given that new ball by Sanchez he didn't want that ball he liked the ball that he had Jeff is there a difference between balls I know he's very finicky about the balls that he uses so is there a a, a real difference that you could feel and, and sense in these balls, do they have to be scuffed up? I mean, what is Cole going through when, when he's getting that new ball?
1: Well, a lot of it is because of the seams. If you get a baseball that has higher seams, uh, the National League, when we, when I was playing, there used to be two types of baseballs: the National League ball and the American League ball. The American League ball always had lower seams and the ball seemed bigger in your hands and the National League always had a higher seam so it looked smaller in your hands. So occasionally you would get a baseball in the American League that had high seams and you didn't want that ball to go. I mean, when we played, it didn't matter. I mean, the ball would hit the dirt. The umpires would just look at it. If there wasn't any scuff marks, they would just throw it back. Now anything that's hitting hitting the dirt, get yeah, foul play. I don't they're going through cases and cases of baseballs a game. Uh so when a pitcher gets a ball that he likes and he's like, you know, I really feel comfortable with this, or I can throw a great breaking ball with this ball, you don't want it to go. I remember, you know, when there was foul balls down the line, if there was a ground ball in the third baseman or the first baseman would pick him up, pick it up, I would yell at him if it was a good baseball, say, like, give me the ball. No, 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 no. (laughs) I like that one. Give me that baseball. And, you know, now you're just going to have to get used to, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, but what you read is that this, this virus does not live on surfaces as long as people think or or not on surfaces or you can't pick it up on surfaces is is what everybody thought in the beginning. That is more of an airborne virus than, than anything. So, but still they have this rule that if multiple players touch the baseball, they're going to have to get rid of it. So as a pitcher, if you don't like the baseball that's getting thrown back to you by the umpire, then you're just going to have, to keep tossing them back. I mean, I you remember seeing, have you ever seen the one with Al Herboski? I think it was on YouTube or every once in a while. Uh, it was back when he was pitching, obviously, the man Hungarian. He was just hilarious to watch that he kept throwing baseballs back and the umpires kept throwing a, the umpire kept throwing it back to him and he would just let it go. He would look at the baseball, toss it into the dugout. Well, that's what you're going to have to do now as a pitcher is say, you know what, if I don't like this baseball and, and the one that I did like got thrown out, I'm going to have to keep th- tossing it back and to a fine one that I like.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, it was just weird seeing him and, and his reaction when he got that new ball. But you could see from the 65 pitches that he threw over five innings, he was pleased with that. He wasn't pleased with giving up the home run to Miguel Andujar, but right. it was that first pitch after he was given that new baseball. Uh, he looked sharp uh, despite that home run that he gave up. And let's face it, if you let Miguel Andujar extend, uh, the, that short porch and right is going is to right. see a lot of balls peppered over it but another thing that we're getting and we talked about this jeff before spring training uh, the rest of spring training was canceled when the pandemic started but we talked about not only when cole is on the mound that the yankees are going to get every penny's worth of that contract that he signed it's when he's off the mound too and here's what i mean by that we saw guys like clark schmidt and Michael King come out and they looked really, really good. I don't know how much you put into that because like you said, the pitchers are ahead of the hitters just like the beginning of spring training. This is the beginning of summer camp, spring training 2.0, whatever you want to call it. But you heard Clark Schmidt and you heard Michael King talk about how they watch Cole and how they're trying to emulate him. So not only does he pay dividends for the Yankees when he's throwing, he's also doing that when he comes off the mound and he's helping these other pitchers on the staff. I would preach
1: that If I was a pitching coach, I would preach that to all my pitchers, all my young pitchers. Uh, even when there's an opposing pitcher like a Justin Verlander or hey, they're going to see the Nationals opening day, Max Scherzer. Watch how these veteran pitchers go about their business, how they face hitters, how they set up hitters, how they warm up, how they carry themselves. Sit on the top of the dugout and watch these guys. I used to watch Randy Johnson. He was my teammate. Roger Clemens, David Cohn. I was a big guy uh, of when he was with the Royals and the Yankees. I was down the bullpen and this was at the Kingdom days. I would sit in the bullpen and I would watch the first couple innings and I just say okay how's he facing hitters how's he going about trying to get them out Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens how are they intimidating guys knocking guys back and and, you know setting up the different pitches this is exactly how some of these young pitchers for the Yankees should do you know Garrett Cole obviously signing the big contract a veteran pitcher knows how to pitch knows uh, what the intensity level needs to be to be able to compete every day and for these young pitchers to watch that and eat that up i think that's outstanding because that's exactly the pitching coach's dream is is to have these guys learn from the veterans if you think you can know it all because a lot of guys now think hey I just know everything and and they don't want to hear any any kind of coaching or any kind of preaching but to have young guys like Smith and King learn from Cole. Uh, that's outstanding.
0: And, and Schmidt and King, I know, as you said, I, I can't say it enough. I know the pitchers are ahead of the hitters, but their stuff look, uh, it looked phenomenal. It looked so sharp, and it looked like they've been working very hard uh, as this schedule is fast approaching, uh, Nellie. And it's 60 games. It's 10 games apiece against every team from the AL East, the Red Sox, the Orioles, the Rays, the Jays. So 40 games there. They have six against the Mets. They have four against the Phillies and the Braves and three against the Nats and the Marlins. They begin the season with those three down in D.C. and they finish the season with three at home against Miami. So the schedule's out. It, it dropped right after our first podcast, you know, when we reintroduced ourselves to Yankee fans at the New York Post here that were doing this right after our first podcast dropped. The schedule dropped and I started getting excited immediately, Jeff.
1: Oh, I did too. And, you know, if you look at the schedule, so there's no a longer road trip than seven days. I mean, there are some teams that do have a 10-day uh, road trip or a 10-day homestand. Uh, the Yankees just go on the road for seven days, uh, one time. And, you know, it, it's nice to see the schedules. The, the schedule's great is as much as they can do to try to keep everyone safe. Uh, you look at the Red Sox, they play them 10 times and seven of them are Yankee Stadium. we will go over that. And I'm going to be interested to see what Johnny Damon thinks, but <laughs> there's no there's no fans. I don't think there's a home field advantage, even though you're coming into your home park. The fans is what takes, I guess, the game out of the player or maybe can distract them a little bit and. Not be able to perform the, the way they should, and when you're in when you're in Boston, you're in Fenway. You have the Yankee Red Sox fans getting all over you, especially as a Yankee. Uh, you need to uh, you need to concentrate a little bit more. But with no fans, I don't really think that there's a home field
0: advantage. And this is a difficult schedule. I mean, the the AL East uh, you have the Red Sox, you have the Rays. Uh, it's no picnic there. Um, doesn't matter if the Red Sox aren't really what the Red Sox used to be. They're still going to be highly competitive, especially when it comes to playing the Yankees. If they could play spoiler, they're going to play spoiler. Uh, you also have the NL East, which is no picnic. You have to deal with the Mets pitching staff, the defense. Champion Washington Nationals. You also have the Phillies under Joe Girardi. There, uh, it's just it's no picnic either. Either side here, Jeff. The Yankees have a tough sixty-game slate ahead of them. They do, and I, I'm gonna agree with Brian Cashman. Everybody has to be all
1: in, and I think that's with every team. If you're gonna have success and be a playoff team, you have to abide by the rules, and you really have to be a selfish player as far as hey, I gotta wear my mask. I gotta do everything I can to be healthy and stay healthy. Because if the Yankees are going to be in the playoffs and they have to get off to a good start, uh, you can't have injuries, and
0: especially
1: you can't have anybody get affected with this virus.
0: Yeah, and I can't forget the Atlanta Braves, too. They're in the NL East as well. And if you want to look at that, August 25th in Atlanta, the first game of that two-game set against the Braves is the halfway point of the season. That is game 30. All right, now we will get into more Yankees on Monday's podcast, but let's chat with a guy who who helped the Yanks win their last World Series in 2009. It's Johnny Damon. You can follow Johnny on Twitter and Instagram, at Johnny Damon, and you can get a personal message from him on Cameo as well. So check that out. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, pal.
2: Hey,
3: thanks for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, Cameo's been great. And mostly on Instagram, but during these times, I've kind of just been staying away from uh, posting... A positive pictures. You know it's, it's a sad world right now, and hopefully we'll get back to some normalcy soon. So I've been kind of taking a break.
0: Well, baseball is is turning a lot of frowns upside down. I hope, uh, and we're joined, of course, by the two-time All Star, two-time World Series champion, 2004 with the Red Sox, 2009, of course, with the Yanks. Played four seasons with the Yankees after four seasons with Boston. And Johnny, I, let me start with you there. And I know you've probably been asked this a million times, but to have a World Series ring from both sides of this rivalry. That is so unique and so special. What is that like to have a ring with the Red Sox and a ring with the Yankees?
3: Man, it's absolutely. Incredible. I mean, winning with Boston after 86 years and then going to the Yankees when Boston said they didn't have enough money to re-sign me. And then the following year, they spend about $250 million and go and win the World Series. I was thinking, what the heck did I do? I mean, these guys are spending money to improve their team. And thank God the Yankees spent some money in 2009. Got CC Burnett, um, Tech, and got petted back and we were ready to roll. So um so yeah, you have to spend money sometimes and thank God because it made my move to
1: New York well worth it. Johnny, I gotta ask, you know, something that maybe maybe it'd be I wanna ask you two things. It, me being a Yankee, two two places I would never go is Boston and and the Mets. And I had a chance to go to the Mets in 2005. And I, I turned it down. I said, "No, you know what, I'm a Yankee and I can't go to the other side. What was that like going from the Red Sox to the Yankees? And was that a tough move? Because a lot, you know, some players have done it. But, you know, some players have the mentality that I just can't play for for a rival like that.
3: Yeah, well, it was such a tough decision. I felt bad for the fans because I was definitely a fan favorite in Boston, and it wasn't their fault. You know, it was ownership knowing that Jacoby Ellsbury had about one more year left, and center fielders tend to get slower when they age. So it was a very tough decision. I was the third player on the Red Sox who went to the Yankees. um, Following that team, Um, I know Alan Embry and Mark Bellhorn. But in 2006, when I went to the Yankees, there were only six players left in the World Series team in 04. Um, uh, Veritek, Wakefield, Schilling, Euclid. It's really tough to tell (laughs) um, who all were there, but um, they pretty much dismantled the team and talked about um, loyalty. Um, You know what? All my good friends were gone.
0: I I, want to take you back to, to game four of that 2009 World Series. Because all throughout baseball, if you play your your entire life, it's all about the heads up plays and making heads up plays. And I was down in Philadelphia for that game uh, with the Yes Network, and uh, Game Four, Top Nine, two quick outs with Matsui and Jeter going down to Brad Lidge. Then you come up, not only do you single, it's a nine pitch at bat. That to me is like. O'Neill's 10 pitch walk against Armando Benitez back in 2000 game one against the Mets. I mean, that, that's how huge that at bat was. And when you steal and notice the shift, I mean, is that something you were looking at when you were on first base, when you said, if I take second and, and no one's on third, was that already in your head that you were going to take third? Or was that just a spur of the moment thing?
3: Um, yeah, it was in my head. I was thinking about doing it all year long, but, doesn't like me to steal um, bases when he's hitting. It distracts him. So all year long, I kept seeing the shift, and I knew it. And there were a few occasions wh- when I did steal when he hit. He just didn't like it. But I also knew that um, Philadelphia just scored a couple runs, and there is no way we are going to make it through extra innings. And scoring uh, from second base is easier than first, and also scoring from third base is a lot easier, especially with the strong arms that the Phillies outfielders had. Um, and then I can score anyway. Like Brad Lidge may not be able to bounce that slider. I can score on a wild pitch. I can score on an infield single. So the options to score a run was better and we needed to so we can win that game.
1: Johnny, tell me about the fans, the difference in the fans. You played both places, and obviously you're going to say the Yankees because we have a Yankee podcast as your favorite team, but – Tell me the difference or, or maybe similarities in the fans with the Red Sox and the Yankees.
3: Um, yeah, the Red Sox fans are very passionate. Um, they want you to go out there and play hard. And they invite you into their home every night for dinner. Um, I would say 70% of the people watch the games there, which in New York, I feel like it's about 20. So one in five people you know, pay very close attention, but there are so many and so many more sports but the Boston fans uh you know you become a legend instantly all the time you know there was like Tom Gordon you know uh there's I mean there Kevin Euclid and Big Poppy and you, you always hear those stories about legends in Boston even though they didn't put up the same career as guys in New York um but you know your legacy and your legend lives um with everybody in new england and in in new york yeah a lot of people pay attention and there are a lot of people but um boston absolutely crazy
1: yeah the yankee I, fans are gonna have to watch you get invited invited into a house of a yankee fan you really don't know what you're gonna get to eat it could be good it could be bad you have no clue
3: yeah well why well, i mean on tv you know um they're sitting down eating dinner the red Sock game is on and in new york it's not necessarily like that.
2: Hey, Johnny, Jake Brown here. I had a question. One thing that is different is the hair policy. And it was in the news, you know, the past week that Andrew McCutcheon thinks it's about time the Yankees change that. You were a guy who had the locks flowing. You got to get rid of the beard, the long hair. Is it time that the Yankees change their hair policy?
3: No, not at all. I mean, there's rules for a reason and you have to follow the rules. I mean, you're being paid by the Yankees, your boss, pay attention pay attention to the rules of rules, not just in baseball or with a team, but rules in life. I mean, if you break a rule, you get in trouble. And I wasn't going to disrespect Babe Ruth, Yogi Berra, Jeff Nelson, Mariano, Derek Jeter. You know, I'm not going to disrespect these guys who um, obeyed the rule and, play and play the game the right way
0: well I I want to piggyback on something that Nelly was talking about here Johnny and and that is you know and I know Nelly has had experiences with this too because he came to the Yankees from the Mariners he went back to the Mariners then he came back to the Yankees so he's been loved and hated but when he came back he got a standing ovation uh and, and and Nelly said he got emotional now when you came back to Yankee Stadium for the first time It was with the Tigers in 2010, and they gave you a standing ovation. How did that make you feel?
3: Man, it made me feel so great because I knew the fans appreciated what I brought to the table, especially coming from the Red Sox. I mean, they didn't know what to expect. And if I was going to um, still be loyal to the Red Sox, and like my heart's still with the Red Sox, but guess what? They, uh, They didn't sign me. And when that happens, you make sure baseball stays very important to you and you have a chance to win another world series and the yankees offered all all that to me and a great fan base who only wants the best players and then getting that standing o that was a big reason why i vetoed the trade back to boston with a couple weeks to go in the season i mean i was like Man, I'm looking at the schedule and I'm like, Man, I was just loved at Yankee Stadium and I think there's about five games left that the Red Sox have to play with the um against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium and I was like, I don't want this to turn into booze and I you know, and Boston didn't have a chance to catch Tampa Bay, who was really trying to get me that year, but they wanted to block Tampa Bay because we probably had a really good chance to win that year.
1: Yeah, that's something, Johnny, because I got booed in 0-1 after winning four World Series with the Yankees. 50,000 boos because they didn't appreciate me going back to, back to the West Coast. I only got standing 0 when I came back to New York. I mean, my goodness. Hey, Johnny, the schedule just came out, and it's going to be interesting because they're not going to be any fans. And, you know, as a player, you feed off the fans, and that's how you play. Uh, and especially the adrenaline starts heating up a little bit when you do get booed or if you get cheered. The Red Sox and the Yankees, 10 games, seven of them against or at Yankees, stadium Uh, i feel that there's no home field now because there aren't any fans what do you feel
3: i think it's a absolute joke a million and a half people died of uh, tuberculosis last year they never told you to wear a mask they never told you to stay home i think it's an absolute joke i think people are, are going to get sick and it's a real thing but it's never going to leave planet earth i mean it's here to stay and we have to adjust and um, move forward, and if you get sick, like, the media doesn't have to tell us we have to stay home. We know that. Like, that was embedded in our brains when we were kids. If you're sick, stay away from people. And I know some people are getting hit harder, certain blood types, but there needs to be fans. Worst case, bring the high school seniors to come watch. Like, they missed out on their high school year. Or bring the college guys to go watch. And keep your social distance. But I think there's a way they can do it. And you're opening up these big stadiums and, and not such a safe area right now. I thought everything was going to happen down in Florida, so the travel wouldn't be tough. I don't know. I think it's absolutely nuts with no fans, but worst case, bring the college players in to watch their superstars.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Since, since you said all that, let me ask you this. If you were part of this season, if you were still playing, Johnny, would anything concern you about playing? And would you? Do you think we're going to get through this 60-game season and the playoffs?
3: Well, I think they will if they are smart about it and not stuff down if one or two people get the virus. Because guess what? When you play a game, you get on a bus, you go to the airport, get on a plane, you fly, you land, you get on another bus, takes you to the hotel. I mean, you are around so many people. And players are going to keep getting it. Staff is going to keep getting it. And you know what? Take your vitamins. Eat healthy. You know, we're, we're being told uh, if you have a better survival rate if you're healthy. Well, we should have never forgot about that. And hopefully people are taking their precautions and understanding that try to be as healthy as you can, you know, until you go off the heaven.
1: Johnny, this is the last one for me. You see some of the players backing out and cho- choosing not to play. I understand that, you know, maybe their wives are expecting babies. but. If you take every kind of precaution possible, you wear your mask, you wear your gloves, you do everything uh, to try to stay healthy, and, and you can. And, you know, there's precautions and protocols that'll keep every player healthy if they follow them. You see Mike Trout talking about not playing. What do you feel about some of these players all of a sudden saying, you know what, I don't think it's safe for me to play this year?
3: You know, it's totally up to them. They have their own opinions, and that's where we've um, gone off the deep end. Is uh, opinions don't matter? Like he has a reason why he doesn't want to play. David Price has his reason. Uh, Nick Marcakis. So, yeah, the people have their reasons, And you know what? I like to get back to normalcy. And I want to see these guys step up and, you know, and play. But you know what? I understand if you have a little a young child or older parent, you know, it's a tough decision. If I had that opportunity this year for 60 games, I'll do it. I mean, a 60-game schedule is easy to do. I mean, we had to grind through 162, and then um, at the end of spring training and playoffs, about 210 games. So 60 games, I think, is a piece of cake.
2: Hey, Johnny, you were on my friend Jake Asman's show, and you said, you know, you still have a pretty good rear end after and being a fever pitch and, uh, you know, the whole sweetest ass in the league line. Do you have the sweetest retired ass in the league? What is the status of your ass right now?
3: Man, that's pretty darn good. I mean, I, getting <laughs> uh, or going on Dancing with the Stars and having to dance for four hours a day for practice was, uh, you know, a good wake-up call, and I, I am um, staying in shape. Like, I woke up Early this morning, I'm playing tennis. I'm about ready to go back out there and uh, um, hit a few more balls. And then, you know what? I'm going to go play some golf or something. I don't know. It's uh, Retirement's really good, especially down here in Florida where, I mean, what, whatever you hear, everyone's life is pretty good here.
2: And you have eight kids as well. Are you done or are you going to go the Antonio Cromartie route and go with, like, 13 or 14?
3: Bro, I've had two vasectomies, and the second one has worked so far. So... I am, I should be good, um, but, you know, I, I, I have 21 year old twins and, you know, hopefully they're the next ones in a couple of years from now.
0: Oh my God. When you said that you had two vasectomies, the, the, the immediate thing that came into my head, Johnny, was Kramer from Seinfeld when he said, plus they botched my vasectomy. I'm even more potent now. <laughs> and uh, apparently that happened to you as well. Um, one, yeah. one, more, one more for me before we uh, wrap things up here and that is basically uh, we get through this season, the 60-game season. We we get to the playoffs. We get for a little hunt for uh, October here. Uh, Who do you see as the favorite? Do you see the Nationals maybe repeating as champions? Do the Yankees have a shot at 28? How do you see this season shaking out, Johnny?
3: You know, I like the Yankees and the Phillies. I mean – the Phillies have the best manager in baseball with Joe Girardi. And if they played 162 games, I knew he was going to lead them to the playoffs. So um, I think those teams are going to play again. And, you know, and hopefully the Yankees can sign Matt Suey for the World Series. And uh, I think they'll be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right once again we want to thank johnny for coming on johnny damon you could follow him on twitter and instagram it's at johnny damon or you could get a personal message from him don't forget on cameo two-time all-star two-time world series champion johnny thank you so much for joining us today
3: my pleasure guys
0: have a great one That's a wrap for episode eight of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars on Apple and write a nice review, please. For Nelly, I'm Sharni. Let's chat again on Monday. Stay safe, folks.